from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 116. Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon, Encapsula, and Eero. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined across a very big body of water by Mr. Jason Snell. Big body of water and then a large land mass. Yeah. Let's not undersell it. It's very far away. Hello. Hello. Or you can go large land mass, then big body of water if you want. It just depends which way you want to go, right? You can go either uh, way around. Yeah, fair, fair point. Fair point. You could do it that way. You could if do you it want that to think way. About it. That, that would kind of be the far way. What you want to do is just kind of go straight here over Greenland. Thanksgiving week. It is. So for those of, those of us in the United States, it's a holiday week. I mean, we, we of course, as I like to say in one of my other podcasts, we release the upgrade simultaneously worldwide like Netflix does with its original shows. We don't mm-hmm. delay it for some markets. You all get it at the same time. Yep. That's how good we are. That's how nice we are. Uh, forward thinking. But uh, in this country, the U.S., this is a holiday week, and uh, Thursday is Thanksgiving Day, so everybody gets Thursday and Friday generally off, and sometimes sometimes the Wednesday. Um, my kids have, let's see, my daughter has Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. My son has the entire week off, which is kind of funny. I guess that's I think some school districts just give up and they realize that they're they're going to in the US school funding a lot of school funding has to do for public school has to do with attendance and so if a school anticipates days that will not be well attended they will often just make them uh holidays make them vacation days and move those days elsewhere in the year just because you know they 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 can they can get better attendance on other days. So my, my son's middle school has just given up and given him the whole week off. So not eight feet away from me in the living room, my son and a friend of his are, are playing video games right now. He's living Party. the life. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving week. They're thankful that they have lots of video games to play. Uh, which also means with being Thanksgiving week, I have some kind of weird pseudo-holiday week. It's very strange because I just don't talk to anybody for a couple of days, right? Because everything th- shuts down. Yeah, life continues as normal. Although you could, you know, you could do what you did. You could go to an American uh, restaurant for a Thanksgiving uh, meal on Thursday. I'd considered it, but didn't didn't get anything booked in. So that means I probably uh, won't be able to do it. But we'll see. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll find something. It's always you options. Can check that. Have some turkey, and it's like a little pre Christmas Christmas for for those over there. Um, yeah, it's it, this is a funny one because this is our this is the one. I mean, Fourth of July is like this too, where it's like it's a holiday only for us, and it mm-hmm. used to not matter when. Yeah, I was thinking about this um, back before the internet. <laughs> I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, but let me in the olden days and before, yeah, back in the old old times, the old times. Um, it's just one of those things where it, it as an American, it, you didn't think about the fact that the rest of the world didn't celebrate this holiday everything you could see your entire uh your entire world was constrained to like our tv channels were you know only american mm-hmm. uh everything is only american and you didn't have with the internet everything is much more um kind of globally collected connected now so it's only been more recently that um you get that effect of knowing that life goes on everywhere else <laughs> while we are uh, stuffing ourselves with turkey and and uh, and rolls and yams and things like that. It's funny. Whilst we're talking about that, Apple is strongly encouraging that everybody gets out of the house on Thanksgiving and actually participates in some exercise as opposed to just eating. So they are going to be... Uh, they, they, they kind of announced this via push notification, I believe, today to Apple Watch users 
that if you do a 5K, which is about 3 point something miles, uh, 3.1 miles, I'm told by Dan Moore on a six colors, uh, that yeah. you will get a special achievement badge in the activity app on your Apple Watch, which yeah, it looks uh, like a turkey. Thanksgiving themed. It's kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. It's I I like I like this idea. I think it's a really great idea. The idea to to motivate people, like what motivates somebody, and is a dumb you know Apple Watch badge going to motivate people? Well, maybe it will. I mean, I'm going to have that moment of like, oh, we should go for a walk today, which maybe before I would be like, burr, burr, we should eat more yams, right? Yeah, that's right. More, more big potato, uh, and instead uh, go out for a walk. So I think that I think it's a I think it's a, a fun idea to prompt people on a, on a day like Thanksgiving to get out and move their bodies. Uh, we should do some follow up. G. Llewellyn on Twitter wrote in to tell us uh, this is just an interesting tidbit that in China the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar is called the Multi Touch Bar version, mm. and you can see it. I'll put a link in the show notes to a, a screenshot. Um, that G. Llewellyn sent to us, and you can see it because they translate that part into English. Uh, it's called the multi-touch bar. That's just an interesting right. thing to me. I mean, obviously, this stuff happens quite a lot, but um, I, I can't think of anything like product naming words from Apple that has been changed when translated. Like iPhone is iPhone is iPhone, right? Yeah, it might. There must be some cultural reason, right, why it was considered, or or a trademark reason or something. Although I'm not yeah. sure that's a huge issue, but something something like that where they decided that this was a a safer way to. To, to describe it. Dave wrote in to recommend uh, a lightning to SD card adapter from a company called Lexar. Yeah, Lexar is uh, a major manufacturer of, uh, of, of memory cards, basically. Okie dokie. And they have a, an actual physical adapter that you can plug into your iOS devices via lightning and you can pull the files straight directly from the SD cards. Um, so this was in uh, response to us talking last time about having a uh, wireless yeah SD the Toshiba card. Wi-Fi SD card yeah so I I uh, Dave uh, shows how fast things can move sometimes I went and immediately purchased this got it from Amazon tried well, it of out and you discovered would. discovered that it was no good well I was gonna write about it mm-hmm. um, first off it's it uses micro SD cards and my compact my, my recorder my my um, portable recorder the zoom uses full-size SD cards so I would need to get a micro SD card with an adapter and then like pull the little you know pull that card out and then pull the little card mm-hmm. out of the adapter and then put it in in order to get it to work um, but I, I like the idea of using uh, a wire transfer essentially a lightning port transfer instead of a, a Wi-Fi transfer and then I, I do actually already have a couple of micro SD cards um, and they're they are readable by my uh, devices and by my Mac and neither of them was readable by the Lexar thing. Okay. It was like, I don't know what to do. And so I went to Amazon and uh, started a return and it's going, it's in a box going back to Amazon now. So I can't, I can't, maybe I got a bad one. It I works don't know. for Dave. Dave said that but he uses it. It didn't work for me. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty happy with how the, the Toshiba Wi-Fi card is working. So I think I'm going to stick with that. We've had a couple of people contact us, um, and maybe you could speak a little bit more to this, uh-huh. Jason, to say, uh, this is in response to an Ask Upgrade question, that it is possible to drive the LG 5K display via Thunderbolt 2. Now, we were under the impression that it could only be uh, driven by a Thunderbolt 3 capable right. device. So since it's, it sounds like since this is happening where it's multiple channels of DisplayPort, what I've heard, and I can't confirm this, and I kept asking people who said that they had, they had heard that this was possible, 
to let me know if they ever saw it in action. And nobody has said this yet, but I've heard because we we answered with some confidence last week that it was impossible when we were asked about it on Ask because Upgrade. It, it literally says on the technical specifications that it works via a computer that has you uh, has Thunderbolt three. Like it says it yeah. on the page, right? Right. So, and I uh, it may be that some Macs have the video out capability, the the, the you know the the GPU capability to do it. If you attach a Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two adapter to the display. And then a Thunderbolt cable from the display to the computer. I don't know if that will work or not, but we heard from a couple people that it would. We heard rumblings that this may actually be set up in Apple stores uh, as as a way to display these things attached instead of the Thunderbolt display um, attached to like a Mac Pro. Uh, it's also possible that it will work, but it will work at a lower frame rate. It'll work at like 30 frames per second instead of 60. Um, I don't know. So uh, basically, we want to we want to say we've heard from some people that it may be more complicated than simply saying no, like we did last week. So the jury's still out on this. If you have seen one of these, I mean, they don't they haven't even shipped yet, is my understanding, right? So it may be that the first time we see them will be in an Apple store and somebody should look and see if they're attached via that Thunderbolt adapter. Maybe that'll, All right. that'll be the story. But I we think just I don't might know. So- have something here, Jason. Right? Oh, yes. So the 5K display says connection, Thunderbolt 3 enabled Mac. The 4K display says USB-C enabled Mac. Yeah. So they're, they're different. They're, they're they are different. different things. They are different, and I'm sure that lots of Macs can drive the 4K display. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a it's a mystery. So anyway, if you if somebody does succeed in getting mm. the 5K display operating with an, a Mac that does not have Thunderbolt three, let us know. That would be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still not holding out hope for this. Yeah, I, I have I have skepticism that it even if it does work, if it's optimal, that's that's really my my thought. There is is it going to be able to drive it at, at uh, sixty hertz like the uh, like the modern Thunderbolt three Max are? I'm not is it sure. going to melt your GPU? Who knows? <laughs> Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Hey, are you at your new house or are you at your old house? Nope. So you're in, you're still in micro office. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still in micro office. Uh, due okay. to a myriad of issues last week, I didn't end up recording any shows from the flat. I actually recorded less shows last week. I had to skip some. But this week, I should be recording a couple of things from uh, from Mega Office. Uh, okay. Mega Office is now painted, which is great. All right. Do you, are you still doing your um, chair yeah. plan? <laughs> yeah, no furniture yet. Um, however, I'm maybe this weekend going to buy a, a desk. I'm going to get a sit-stand oh. desk, which is going to be new Good. for me. Welcome. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna. Well, I'm definitely gonna be recording at least one show this week from from the new from the new flat. That's great. And just piece of homework. Next week is going to be one of uh, our first holiday season. Mike at the movies, um, and as we mentioned before, it's going to be Gremlins. So we will be talking about Gremlins on next week's episode of Upgrade. So if you want to follow along with the final segment of the show, which will be our discussion about Gremlins. You need to watch before next Monday, which is also a reminder to me and Jason that we must watch the movie by next yes. Monday. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had a lot of podcast homework lately, um, watching various movies for and TV shows for The Incomparable, and then I realized that my next bit of homework is for Upgrade. That's kind of fun. So Most sometime this week. though, right? 
you yeah. you agree with that? Mike at the movies is the most important. Sure, of course. Goes without saying. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you very kindly by our friends over at Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now, unless you're already wearing Mac Weldon clothing, because we all know, me and Jason, and you should know, that it's the best. Right? We believe this, Jason Snow, do we not? Oh, Mac yes. Weldon is the most comfortable. Yes, I'm wearing it right now, so it's not better than what I'm wearing right now. Yeah, that's why I said it, because I knew you would you would challenge me, because yeah. I know that you wear Mac Weldon often as I do, because their products are so comfortable. Mac Weldon will give you the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will have ever experienced. They look good as well as being comfortable. You can be out on the street. I mean, as I've mentioned many, many times, I travel with my Mack Weldon sweatpants, and they're the most fancy-looking sweatpants that I've ever worn. I don't I don't think I stick out like a sore thumb. You know, I don't look like I've just come from the gym. I, I, I look good, but the most important thing for me is that I feel good. I feel comfortable when I'm wearing this stuff as well. Um, I love my Mack Weldon underpants as well. Uh, and I find the whole situation, the whole way of buying Mack Weldon products to be so easy. They have a the great website. The whole situation. The situation the of buying. The website situation is good, is that's, what you're saying. That is, that They can put that on the website, right right on the very top. Mm-hmm. Mike Hurley says the situation is good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really do like their stuff. Uh, and this is something that, you know, not only do, am I happy to tell you about it, I'm also happy to put it on my body, right? I think that's going to be the... <laughs> <laughs> the biggest endorsement that a human can, can put give. that on their website too. Yeah, I can also put. I'm giving just tagline after tagline for Mac Weldon. It's amazing. Today. They have silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. They eliminate odor. This is some cool science stuff yeah. to make sure you're also going to smell good. Also, it'll protect you from werewolves. I, 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 they don't really promote that, but it's true. Put it on the website, Mac Weldon. <laughs> Protects you from werewolves, says Jason uh-huh. Snell. Mac Weldon want you to be comfortable. They believe in that so much that if you don't like what you buy, if you buy your first pair and you're not happy with it, just keep it and they'll refund you. They don't want your underpants back. You just just keep them. <laughs> Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com with the coupon code UPGRADE. Thank you so much to Mac Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. Trust me, as a human being, you probably need to buy some of these products. Just go and get yourselves some, and I know that you're going to love it. Thank you so much to Mac Weldon for their support of this show. Hmm. Werewolf protection. Yeah. It just comes uh, standard with silver under underpants. Somebody over in Cupertino should have stretched a pair of silver underpants over the airport extreme in the airport. <laughs> so that couldn't be killed because uh, a report from the man who has been on fire since he joined Bloomberg, Mr. Mark Gurman, um, he has said today uh, that the... Uh, the wireless division, the router division, I don't even know what you'd call it, uh, over at yeah, Apple. The maker, airport, airport Extreme and Airport Express and Time Machine, basically, or Time Capsule. Time I mean. Capsule. The, the difficult to, to remember the name of Time Capsule, uh, that they've, uh, yeah, that they've shut that down, disbanded the team, and presumably won't be making any more uh, wireless router products. They said that it, the team has been kind of slowly being closed down over the last year and they're moving these people into like Apple TV and iPhone and they're just moving them out into other divisions. Uh, This product is is dead. They're still on sale though, right? Like I can still today go to apple.com and buy an airport uh, for my for my sins, I guess. Let me go and take a look, see if it's still available in the accessories. But whilst I do this, Jason Snell... um, is this an issue in any way? Yes, I can still buy an Airport Extreme and a time capsule if I want to. Do you see this as a as a as a 
problem? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I know there's a lot of people out there. I, I, you know, anytime Apple does anything, there's a reaction, and it's sort of like people are like, I can't believe they're doing this. That that seems to just happen every time. But I don't think it's a big deal. I, I, I. Uh, does Apple need to be in this business? This is the thing that I keep coming back to with some of this stuff. It's like, does Apple really need to be in this business? Now, I will I will grant you that I think in the long run, the airport products have been pretty reliable. I still have a generation of prior airport base station that I have been using up until recently when I switched to other another class of product, which we'll get to in a second. I've been using it. It was it was solid. It it held a connection. I bought other Wi-Fi routers. They have been much less reliable, uh, as well as harder to set up. Um, when I need to set up a Wi-Fi router at my my mom's house, I I got her an Apple router because it was more reliable than the one that she had, and it has has continued to be so. So there there are a lot of things to be said for it, but. It's kind of, I mean, they're competing with companies that want to make uh, that want to make routers that specialize in making routers. Uh, does Apple really need? Does an Apple branded router bring a lot more to the table? There are some people who are going to buy it, but at this point, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I wasn't a big fan. I should I should disclose of the last generation, the tall design that was basically designed so that they could fit the um, the big hard drive in it for the time capsule. I thought it looked ridiculous. <laughs> I never liked it. Never bought one. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those things I just have a hard time being upset about because although they, they're, they've been pretty good and they've been pretty reliable, it feels like the Wi-Fi um, world keeps changing and advancing and that Apple reached a point where they were going to need to either put more effort into these products or just walk away. And I can, I can really see the argument. Like, why are we doing this? There is a thriving market of, of companies, traditional and startups, that are making Wi-Fi products and other infrastructure products. Is this something that we need to go down in order to make the world better? They're all compatible with our stuff. We don't need to worry about this. And that seems to be where they've ended up. And it's hard for me to fault that. I think in the world where Apple have decided that they don't want to make monitors anymore, why would they continue to make Wi-Fi base stations and routers? That like that it yeah. just that seems like a less important product even um, than yeah. making a, a, a first-party display. I agree. I agree. And I just I don't feel like it. I mean, the argument here is also Apple. What do you mean? Apple's got all this money. Apple's huge. Why do they need to focus? Why do they need to eliminate uh, jobs and divisions and move people around and things like that? And there are other things that they've done this week that we'll talk about later about this too. But Apple isn't as big as you think, first off. It's big in terms of size, but Apple, in terms of the core group that's building products, is smaller than you might expect. And they seem uh, culturally not to want to get much bigger. They are, uh, and I think that stems from Steve Jobs and and when he came back to Apple that they want to you know hiring at Apple is a slow process a lot of the time they only want to hire they they definitely seem to practice that only hire uh, the very best and uh, and they're very uh, uh, careful about that it seems and so they don't grow their uh, their groups very quickly so part of this is that yeah I'm sure that they benefit from from focus. Also, I think groups that are not in the spotlight tend to not have uh, the... If you're if you're somebody who wants to grow 
and advance at Apple, if you get put on something like Airport, my guess is your feeling is that you're in a cul-de-sac, right? So they're not going to have their best people working on this stuff anyway. Whereas if you're at a company that this is what you do, you're going to hire people and who are the, the best and they're going to know that this is what the company is all about. So I think that there's a bunch of stuff at play here so that even though Apple is a huge company, it kind of makes sense to say this just isn't a company focus. Why are we doing this? We don't need to do this. Or on the flip side of that, you know, because we don't know who's on the airport team they could have people that are too good that are working on that team and want to get them out you know like the the airport people could be the best in the world at selling and networking and they really yeah. want them on the iphone well and that's why the slowly tearing down the team thing makes sense because that's like hey billy is over there in the uh in the in the airport team and 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 we need them to come over here and work on this thing for ios like and billy's like yeah, great. iOS engineering, that's awesome, right? And then they've just lost somebody from their team. And it just goes like that until it's a skeleton crew. Yep. And then they somebody says, do we want to staff this up in order to do another revision? And everybody looks at it and goes, no, why? And that's it. Billy's that's doing such good work on the antenna bands. Why would yeah, we take exactly him away right. and put him back on the airport extreme? Exactly. Yeah, I struggle to I struggle to, to, to care um, about this emotionally because i've never been invested in these products uh i i tend to just use what my provider gives me and in the uk the 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 hardware that we get given from our providers is actually pretty good stuff hmm. um it tends to be not always but like we there's some proprietary stuff that they make but the, it tends to be pretty good you make a good point um in the us too like cable modems now tend to come with wi-fi and we can, nerds especially, can be like, I, I don't use it. I turned it off and I've got m- another router that I'm using. But, you know, that's us. I, I think for the vast bulk of people, like, you get Wi-Fi with your router. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? You're done. You don't need anything more. Because I once owned an airport, I think the Express, the one that just was a plug. You just yeah. plugged it directly into the wall. And I owned that because my router didn't have Wi-Fi in- enabled. Right. That's why these products first started to exist uh-huh. but now as you say that's not needed apple had to make these products because there was a need for them like they needed to exist and they didn't exist and that's just not true anymore but i do have a question though this, this right. clearly seems like apple is taking their time right now to pull back from some areas that they're not interested in anymore and they're using those resources in other areas um, yep. I know that some of the, some of this stuff can upset people. Uh, I think for me, I see it as a positive because there are other, there are things in Apple's product line right now that I agree need work on. So I would like to see Apple stopping to care about these periphery things and putting more focus on these products. Right? You know, I would love to see more work done on the Mac. I would love to see more work on the iPad. So taking talented people and putting them in other areas—that's a big thumbs up for me. But I can't understand why Apple still sell iPods. <laughs> well, Dan, Dan Warren posted a, a link today to a, a Macworld story he wrote, wrote a little while ago, which was um, it's Apple products that need love. <laughs> and it was like uh, displays and uh, airport and the iPod touch. And he was like, um, <laughs> it's, it's like, they, do they come in threes? And iPod, obviously, like the regular iPods too, they sell enough. Here's the thing. Those aren't ever 
uh, iPod Touch we could talk about, right? Because that requires iOS versions and all of that. And there, there's some arguments to be made there either way. But but the iPods, the music players, they're at the end of their life, right? There's no development going on for those anymore. They are, they're never going to get updated. And they, uh, they will make them until they can't sell them anymore. So I don't think there's any internal uh, focus placed on a product like that. Because like literally... Everybody knows they're never going to be anything more. And and you can say that because, I mean, already the iPod is, um, I would argue, kind of irrelevant, right? Because, like, iPods can't do Apple Music. So they're already irrelevant. They're already just a product that they sell because some people still want to buy them. But there will come a time when the cost of selling them or the money made by selling them is more than the cost of making them uh, having the production line up at all to make them, are they going to run out of the parts for them potentially at some point, right? At, at some point it'll balance off and I don't know when that'll be. And they'll, uh, and they'll just say, okay, the time has come. Like when I mentioned a week, uh, a week or two ago about IDG looking at our magazines back in the day and saying, once they're not profitable, it's the jig is up. We're not going to keep them around <laughs> out of, out of ego at some point the balance sheet goes into the red and you say, that's it, we're done. So, you know, but I think there's no intellectual energy being expended on the iPod, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. with the airport, with the airport, when you look at what Google is doing, um, what companies like Eero, who is sponsoring, unrelated, sponsoring this episode, but so we'll just try to keep those separate. But um, they, there's an investment in, kind of rethinking Wi-Fi, setting up more intelligent kind of mesh networks where you've got multiple uh, stations doing coverage in, in houses where that was always kind of harder to do. And now they're, they're trying to make that easier for people to buy two, you know, two packs or three packs of routers. And you plug one in uh, at the base and you plug a couple other in. They talk to each other. They configure. It's like it's really good and much better as an experience than Wi-Fi has been up to now and much easier to set up. All of these reasons for that. And you're Apple, and you're like, are we going to play that game? <laughs> no, we're not. It's fine. Other people are going to play that game. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, that, that's that question is always, are we going to have to spend more mental energy on this, or, or aren't we? And the iPod is easy because as long as it pencils out, there's no, you know, is there anybody, is there literally anybody looking at iPod software, firmware, hardware, anything? I don't think so. But that's, I agree with that. But was anybody doing that with the airport? But I still found they're still potentially finding the need to kill this. Well, they um, were still releasing like software updates for it every now and then. That was that was a thing that was happening. And I do wonder again if there was an impetus here where they realized that beyond a certain point they were going to have to keep releasing software updates. You know, maybe they keep it on a maintenance maintenance mode for a certain amount of time. I don't know. I mean, you do wonder if there's that moment where they're like, oh. Yeah, we need to we need to choose now if we're if this is going to be an ongoing concern or not, and we choose not. <laughs> so the upgrade podcast from Relay FM decrees that it is not an issue. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, away. I feel I, I feel for people who love these things mm-hmm. and are sad that they're not going to continue. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like there's a lot of progress being made on other fronts here, and that there are going to be other options that are going to be better, and that for most people. Um, probably the you know you get your router out of the box from your provider that has wi-fi and then you also have these other companies that are trying to build more robust mesh kind of networks for people who want that kind of thing and do we need do we need apple in that game maybe it would be nice if they were there but apple doesn't think it's particularly you know important that they be there i i i endorse that 
I just want to take a moment to touch on the Design by Apple in California book. Yes. Yes, that was that that happened after our after our show last week, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it here. I feel like there's a slight tie in here um because a lot of people are looking <laughs> at this and I completely understand why is like are Apple putting their focus on the right places right now, you know? Is is it worth putting time and effort into creating a book chronicling the last 20 years of Apple design? when the MacBook Pro is over a thousand days without a refresh, right? Like I, I can see the, the, the idea of that from if people's only the pe- the people involved in page layout, photography and paper were instead designing the interior components of a Mac Pro. If That's only the thing, they had been right? retasked. I mean I agree I agree with you that mostly. I mean there is definitely going to be some work expounded by the designers. But I, I, I do agree. I don't think that this is I don't think that this is saying that Apple are not putting their focus in the right places. I think, but I think that there is a there is a nugget of something here which I'm I'm struggling to land on, which I think is is a PR issue. Um, I don't think this was the right time for this book to come out. So so let let me, in terms of the people, not only yes, the people who make a book are not the same people who engineer a product, and and I think it's different. But I think if I had to guess internally how this worked at Apple. They've been collecting this archive for years. They want to have an archive of their old products for various reasons, not just for the book. They didn't call Stephen Hackett. I don't know what was up with that. They, you know, they bought they bought these products. Um, you know what probably happened is that they brought some people on on a contract for six months and paid them to make this book. And, you know, they contracted with a photographer and they contracted with a designer and they had some meetings where Johnny Ive or some other designer said, here's what we'd like the book to be. And then they paid, you know, they paid people to do it. And then there was sign-offs and et cetera, et cetera. It's self-published, but I, I really doubt they retasked key members of any team anywhere to work on this book. By th- by far the most likely thing is they brought people in on a six-month contract or something to build this book mm-hmm. and paid them, wrote a check. And uh, did some interviews and did a couple of, you know, did some product management passes and some, you know, let's look at the the page designs and are they looking okay? And it was not, you know, I, I think this is a, like, write a check kind of a transaction mm-hmm. with a little bit of oversight here after having collected the, uh, so I think you could overstate the amount of effort that was put into this by anybody who has any effect on Apple's uh, products and design uh, really, really I think it's very easy to overstate that. I think it wasn't a big deal. Now, to your point, right, you would say right now, given all the other things that are going on, the hubbub around all these other things at Apple, do you want to choose this time to release an introspective, uh, self-congratulatory product? Who is this book for? Who are they selling it to? Us, right? They are selling it to the people that love Apple the most, the people that spend hours a week talking about or listening about or writing about or reading about these products, Apple must know that there is a little bit of unrest in that community right now, right? They're not stupid. It's why they discounted dongles, right? Like, they're very aware of this. I'm sorry, I I had to laugh at at thinking of... uh... Wait, you mean that there's unrest in the community that Apple made unhappy by prioritizing other 
things over them that that seems like exactly consistent behavior right <laughs> like sure. they didn't care before why would they care now um i i don't know it's it's you're you're i'm not sure there's ever a good time to do something like this um i was on the talk show last week and gruber and i talked about this a bit um and you can find that in somewhere an hour or two i don't know <laughs> it was it was a long conversation um and and I feel like what John suggested is they could have used a coffee table book publisher of renown as a front, like not even necessarily given up any control over it, but they could have like used the publisher as a front to say, uh, you know, oh, they're publishing it. We're not. But Apple's like, nope, we're publishing it. It's all us. We think we're great. Here is this photo book of all of our stuff. Um, And they didn't they didn't do that either. Um, but you know, was there, a, was there ever going to be a good time to do it? This, this seems like, I, I feel like they, they wanted this out for the holidays cause they know that there are people who are big fans of Apple who will buy this as a, you know, as a holiday mm-hmm. gift and it's, it, it costs a ridiculous amount of money, but a lot of coffee table book kind of art book stuff, a lot of them cost what we would perceive as a ridiculous amount of money. Cause that's how those kinds of things are, are often priced. I don't know. I, Mike, the thing that baffles me the most about this book is that it's just pictures of old hardware. That there's literally no insight into... John Syracuse talked about this on ATP last week. There's no insight into what they did in detail. Like, apparently there's a booklet that comes with the book that's got some descriptive text, but that the book is basically just pictures. And, the, you know, if this is... Why? Like, literally anyone could make this book, and many have... <laughs> Why did Apple make a book that is literally just pictures of Apple hardware that is publicly available and that anyone can amass a collection of, including Stephen Hackett, and that there are other books about this? That's the part that actually baffles me because, you know, that's somebody saying, well, other people can do it, but we want our we want our own. And, you know, and that's where I, what I keep coming back to is th- what this really feels like is the industrial design group wanted a yearbook. Like they wanted, they wanted a collection of their work so that they would have it. And at some point somebody said, well, why don't we just sell it? Why, why just make it for us? If we're going to, you know, I'll, I'll give you the money to build this book, but you know, why don't we recoup some of that by selling it at Apple stores too? And so somebody was like, all right, let's do that. But it feels very much like this is, Somebody, you know, the, the the industrial design group wanted uh, a, a pretty thing to put, you know, to take with them. Is this an example of Johnny Ive's power? Has he been able to just say, we're making this book and the book is made? Yeah, I mean, there may be multiple steps there, but my guess is that is that he or somebody else in his group w- was a proponent of this. And like I said, I, my theory is that they wanted to make this for themselves. And then a series of decisions was made that led to it being, well, maybe other people want it. Well, maybe we should sell it publicly because we can make some money that way mm-hmm. and, and uh, let fans and people who appreciate our great work do it. I don't think it started as what we need to do is make a photo book so that the masses can appreciate our... I, I don't think it came from that direction, but... Um, but sure, I, I doubt that. I mean, who else could do? Who else could kick off a project like this, right? Yeah. But but Johnny, I. But I do feel like it was very much. We're proud of the hardware work we've done, and we want to have something that uh, you know. We don't think that the existing books about our work really say the, tell the story. Or we've been building this archive for eight years. We'd like to document it, and then it sort of snowballs into this uh, this bigger project. Is my guess. It does frustrate me that there's no iBooks version of this. 
for for a couple of reasons. One, so people that want to enjoy this stuff don't have to pay two hundred dollars for it, and also two, like this is a a, a multimedia rich platform that they could have used to create. They you know, you could have put videos in there. They could have put narration right. in there. They could have made a really interesting iBook out of this yeah. as well, like in complement to that. Maybe even you got for free if you bought the real big book. And and, and that goes back to my theory that this this project was always of a smaller scope and then it just sort of like expanded and nobody i mean i've seen that happen in lots of different areas where you start with something small and it expands without anybody saying wait a second if we're going to expand this maybe we should expand the scope of it it's like well no 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 then the argument is no that doesn't work we don't want to spend too much time on it we're just going to do what we're going to do and if you want to sell it you can sell it and nobody stopped to say well wouldn't this be a great ibook that we could build and we could throw in videos and we could throw in, you know, other things. It's like, no, the whole goal here was just to have a, a, a beautiful photography book on custom paper. Mm-hmm. But then they released a big press release about it, which is like, Ugh. yeah, that's where it right? all kind of ties together into a bit of a mess. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree that the, the optics of it are weird, but, um, I don't know. I, I what I said on the talk show. I'll say here, which is, I feel like how people react to this book is uh, is uh, a way to peer into how people feel about Apple right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I feel like mm-hmm. that's what this is. This is a uh, an inkblot test kind of thing, which is if you are inclined to believe that Apple is rotting and uh, it doesn't know what it's doing, then you can point to this and say, "See, this is proof." And if you think that Apple's fine and people get freaked out about things that they shouldn't worry about. You can point to this and be like, it's not a big deal. And so I, I guess that's that's why I, I'm kind of lukewarm on the whole thing is other than being disappointed because it seems like a huge missed opportunity not to actually tell the story of Apple design in some way and instead just show pictures that anybody can make a book and has showing pictures of these products. Beyond that, really all I have to do is sort of shrug and say, it's not that big a thing and people who want to use it as evidence of something are are doing it not because they originally thought everything was fine but because they already were worried about it and this buttresses their their case it just it seems very much like a like a uh, an inkblot test to me yeah my overall feeling is i'm not annoyed that the book exists i'm annoyed of how they priced it and i'm annoyed at the time that they chose to introduce it right i just think that it shows a little bit of either arrogance or blindness mm. to to the people that they're trying to sell this to which is apple but it still can be annoying i guess i think i think those of us in our um our apple focus bubble can get uh can think of the situation as being more extreme than it actually is sure but, but I, you know I, I, right you know we're the most likely audience to buy a book like this and i think I apple must know that uh, however after watching steven's video where he was able to line up the book with his own actual Apple collection. I do want the book. I honestly do want it. I'm a, I'm a huge Apple fan. Like this book is for me. I want it. I want to look at the pictures. Um, and with the holiday season coming up, maybe it will appear in my stocking, and I'll be very oh. happy to receive it. It's a big stocking. It's be a big stocking. But I, I I this is the type of thing that I know that I would enjoy. Like so I'm not annoyed that the book exists. I just think that it could have been done better. And I, I really wish that they would have had an iBook version so more people could enjoy it, I think. Um, that I think that's the thing that frustrates me the most. It's like, you can enjoy our photos if you pay us multiple hundreds of dollars to do so. 
So, hey-ho. This episode is brought to you by Eero. These days, everything in our homes requires an internet connection. Our speakers, thermostats, light bulbs, front door locks, security cameras, everything in between. And we're increasingly looking at streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, and Spotify for our home entertainment. I know this as I'm collecting up items to buy for the new home, just seeing how many of these things need Wi-Fi. Uh, to make them work. It is the foundation for all of the stuff that we need these days, and we are totally dependent on it. I have no Wi-Fi at all in my new flat right now, and it is a sad place to be (laughs) at times. It's it's funny to see just how intrinsic it is to our everyday lives. But funnily enough, Wi-Fi is broken. So imagine going into a room in your house and plugging in your iPhone into a socket in the corner of the room. A notification pops up and tells you that your phone is going to charge too slowly because you're too far away from the electric meter. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like It doesn't make any sense. Electricity flows everywhere. It's fine. But this isn't the norm for Wi-Fi. If you're too far away from your Wi-Fi base station or your router, you can get dead zones. You're going to have buffering issues. To get the best connection today, you need a distributed system that can provide you with a connection all over your home. This is what Eero is all about. Each Eero, you get these little boxes. They have two radios inside them. They keep your connection fast and everything in sync. You get a pack of them. You install them around your home. You download the Eero app on your iOS device. It will walk you through the setup. And then your whole home is blanketed in great Wi-Fi. Now, Jason, I know that you have some Eero at home. I do. I, in fact, it's funny you're talking about the importance of Wi-Fi. I, have, I currently have 23 um, devices on my network. Ooh. So that that is this is how much we rely on Wi-Fi. That's iPads and iPhones and Macs and printers and uh, smart home devices, all sorts of things that are on that on that Wi-Fi. And how easy was it to set up the Euro? Oh, it was uh, it was surprisingly easy. Um, I plugged them in. I actually have wired uh, locations in my house where I had other base stations at some point, so I was able to attach it. Uh, in three different places in my house with wires, although one of them didn't originally have that. And and it didn't really matter because what happens is you, you get the Eero plugged in and going and then you add other... Uh, I got a three-pack and you add other Eero um, stations and they talk to each other and they connect with each other. So whether they're wired together or whether they're just using the wireless mesh network to talk, they configure each other. And this is something I was mentioning earlier when we were talking about the airport that... Um, getting base stations to work together seamlessly is actually kind of hard to do with traditional stuff. And this new generation of wireless base stations is much better at it. And it's good because, you know, in a lot of situations, you need more than one to get your coverage to be solid. Even my house isn't very large, but, you know, if if I put the uh, wireless base station in the front room, then the bedroom's Wi-Fi was poor. <laughs> that was bottom line. It just wasn't good enough. And so uh, instead, I just plugged these things in and ran through the very simple setup procedure. And that was it. Suddenly, I had much better Wi-Fi coverage everywhere in my house. The average house in the U.S. is easily covered bet- by between two to three arrows. So a three-pack is a good starting point, but you can have up to 10 if you have a larger space to cover. And because of their 30-day money-back guarantee, you can always return one or more of them if you end up not needing them all. If you want to find out more about the Eero and get one for yourself, just go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And because you listen to this show, you will get yourself free overnight shipping just by selecting overnight shipping at the checkout process and entering the code UPGRADE at checkout. As we mentioned before, now is probably not a better time. There's never been a better time to check out something like Eero. 
so go and check them out today at Eero.com. Thank you so much to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. So there is some news this week that came out that um, a man by the name of Sal Sagoyan has left mm-hmm. Apple. Now, I'm sure that there are people that leave Apple of their own accord or uh, pushed out the door every day, but it usually never meets us. It's very rare that we hear about a, a departure from a non-executive, right? If executive executive yeah. leaves, we all know about it. But uh, I maybe would have to say a rank-and-file member of Apple, somebody who maybe is a team leader or works within a team, they leave, we don't hear anything. Who is Sal Segoyan? What did he do at Apple? And why is it important that he's no longer there? So Sal was the product manager of automation technologies, which he announced at the Mac Tech Conference where he was speaking uh, that his position was eliminated for business reasons, which is, uh, that's basically Apple code for for services no longer required, right? That was, he was, he was, he was told to leave. Um Sal, Sal's history at Apple goes back a very long way, back into the OS 9 days. The first time I ever saw Sal was at a WWDC in the 90s where he was not working at Apple, and he was demoing um, AppleScript support in Quark Express, and basically he was a consultant and he was working for a publishing company, a newspaper company, and they had a database of all their classified ads, and he built a script that queried the database and laid out their classified ad page automatically which you have to i mean you have to see it in that context it was mind-blowing like literally an entire page of the newspaper was made in seconds by this script and that was uh, he was he, he he was and is a great demo guy he always had a session at wwdc uh, apple hired him to be their uh scripting and automation guy basically inside apple and uh, and he was a pretty high profile. He is a gregarious guy. You get to know him. He's a nice guy. He was very visible. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'm unclear on all the details of how the inner workings of Apple work. Um, he had a team. Uh, he was the product manager. The funding and access that his team got is an open question. How much he got to direct what the direction that this stuff went versus what was sort of dictated to them from the OS people, I think is open, open to discussion. Um, and I would say that his tenure is not without things that we can criticize about it. There, there are definitely some things that maybe didn't work as well as they could have, but I also got the distinct impression that he didn't have a whole lot of support within Apple for their stuff. Like they did automator, which was back in like OS 10, 10.4 I think it was a long time ago and then they did a they did some script bridge stuff so that you could get access with javascript to scripting um you know they did some things but it's been pretty limited over time and I I think uh, I got into a twitter back and forth with somebody who was saying you know they haven't shipped anything interesting and my understanding is they haven't shipped anything interesting because they had no support within apple so I think for me the question was in some ways um, how is this able to go on for so long where Apple's OS group didn't seem to care about what Sal and his team were doing and yet they remained to kind of twist in the wind? I, I, I wonder about that, but I just I don't know enough about the in, inside details to say. Sal has always been something I've been aware of maybe over my last kind of 10 years or maybe 10, 15 years where I've been interested in Apple products 
significantly because I've seen him. You know, I, I I remember episodes of the old Mac Break video show with Sal Segoyan as a guest whilst employed by Apple. I know that yeah. he gives talks whilst employed by Apple. He has mm-hmm. his own website. Multiple websites about OS features that he generates that are not hosted by Apple, but look like Apple websites, sort of, and the, and for years. So he's definitely been playing by a different book than, than right. most. This is yeah, the stuff that, that Apple people can do. And I wonder, maybe you could provide a bit of, of context on this. Is he kind of a hangover from the days of the evangelists? Well, I'd say he definitely feels evangelist-y in a way that you don't see very much of anymore in the broader uh, in the broader world. I, I think there, there's something to that. And the fact that he was given free reign, I think the fact that he was given sort of free reign for some of this stuff also speaks to Apple's lack of interest in it. Like, it wasn't important enough to not have him doing it, and he was just kind of evangelizing their technologies. I definitely felt, the sense I always got from Sal about Apple stuff was that Sal was counting on us, the press and the users, to send the message that the stuff that he was doing was cool and should continue because the you know the implication there was because he and his team couldn't do it. Like they they were making the case and that was just not going to do it that that we needed to make noise for it to continue. In fact, you know, back in the day there was a question about whether Apple Script was going to make it into OS 10. And uh, it's funny because if you think about the darkest days of Apple, there was a while there where one of the reasons, the, one of the main reasons publishers didn't switch to Windows was that they had all these Apple Script uh, automation things <laughs> that that had been built to ease their production systems, and they didn't translate to Windows, and so it kept them on the Mac in the darkest of the days. So. Um, in the end, AppleScript did come to OS X, and, and they did introduce Automator in 10.4. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, I don't know, it, it, was a, it was a different time, and it was never a huge priority for him, and he was always a good spokesman, so he did end up being kind of an evangelist, and they didn't seem to put the clamps on him either. So, yeah, I, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting to ask why now and why not sooner and maybe this is all part of a thing we, we go back to the uh the airport stuff maybe this is the you know end of 2016 reckoning where apple is is doing some reorg and getting rid of more uh old stuff that they don't think they you know they need to have around anymore maybe that's the, uh, the <laughs> thought process out. here <laughs> Right, I mean, but yeah. I mean, I I think Sal Sal is great, but uh, but does Apple care? I mean, this is the question. It's like, if Apple doesn't really care, and all they all that he and his group do is they they are under underfunded, under resourced, and make trouble because yes, they that's don't exactly agree. What I was going to say, well, I would assume yeah. that inside of Apple, I mean, I know nothing. That all Sal and his team are troublemakers now because they're not able to do anything else. Yeah, sure. They have no sure. they, they have they, no leeway. They have no budget to actually do anything. I mean, I think that shows in the fact that this isn't really a thing that is spoken about Apple script anymore. So I'm sure yep. all they do is just try and be involved and they're just seen as troublemakers. Well, and they, and they bug everybody who's building an app internally, you know, I'm sure gets bugged by, uh, or got bugged by Sal and his team about like, are you doing, are you doing scriptability? Is there, is, is pages scriptable? Is numbers scriptable? Why isn't it scriptable? You need to do that. Right. And that's probably annoying for people too. It's also I, I, a couple points. Um, 
because uh, it's also possible that they wanted to go in a direction that that um, that this team doesn't want to go in or wasn't a good fit for. It's possible, and that's 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 my optimism scenario that mm. we can get to in a little bit. But I do want to say one thing about AppleScript because it's very easy to conflate Sal with AppleScript. He's the AppleScript guy, um, but. AppleScript and automation is more than AppleScript and it's more than Automator. It's it's a lot of stuff. It's hooks into, like I said, you could script apps on the Mac with languages that are a language that is not AppleScript. You could do it with JavaScript. I think you can do it with a bunch of other scripting languages too. Um, and like I use Automator stuff every day, but most of it is actually triggering shell scripts. And Automator exists to make it easy for me to connect those shell scripts with the the Mac UI so I don't have to open a terminal window and type them. And some some of them are Apple scripts and some of them are Apple scripts that build shell scripts and then run the shell scripts. So it's it's a it's a bigger world and and, and I'm more concerned about Apple's uh platform having scriptability and access so that users can connect apps together in ways that the apps you know, can't anticipate themselves separately and do other kind of uh, automating of simple tasks in general as a concept than I am in preserving something like AppleScript. I mean, anybody who's used AppleScript will probably tell you that AppleScript is a kind of a mess and a pain to use. And mm-hmm. I don't particularly love it. If somebody came to me and said, we're vastly improving the scripting system in OS ten and maybe even like have something like that for iOS, but you're going to have to learn Swift. I'd say, great, like, great, great. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Um, so it's, it's a bigger issue than like Apple script or automator, which are not without their serious flaws. I think this might just be like this, this whole thing of, of uh, automation and scripting. I just think it might be something that Apple just isn't interested in putting the time and effort into. Um, yep. And I think the key for that is that, they haven't hired the workflow team. Well, the fact that workflow exists <laughs> tells me that maybe they're not that interested in doing it themselves. Because if you were, you just you just buy them. I think. Well, I think workflow though. So we're talking about the workflow app for iOS. I think the argument could be, and this is the, my pessimistic scenario versus my optimistic scenario. The argument could be that Apple doesn't need to make automation tools. Apple needs to make their platform have hooks, basically, have ways for automation tools, for scripts, to access the system. That works and, for me, right? Right? So so that's the, that's the question. Now, iOS automation works not because of Apple, but despite Apple. Like, the, the, you know, workflow is cool. XCallback URL is a nice hack that, that developers have come up with. But Apple could have built a legitimate s- system of automation and inter-app communication and for iOS and didn't bother. And that's the question, and is poorer because of it. As great as, you know, and Federico and Fraser can talk on, uh, on another podcast about... Uh, how great automation stuff is with workflow on iOS. That's Canvas. You should check out their series. It's awesome. It is Canvas. Thank you. You should listen to that podcast. As great as it is, it could be so much better. It could be so much better and so much less of working around things in the system if Apple had a commitment to doing that. But my understanding and talking to Sal over the years was that iOS engineering not even remotely interested it was like a, a wall for the for the automation group like nope 
not just no, forget it. At which point you've got to say the only reason the Mac had it is because it had it in the past and that Apple has no concern about it moving forward because if they cared about this kind of issue, maybe they would put it on iOS. You could argue, oh, well, the Mac is is a platform for more finicky, fiddly stuff and iOS is smooth and serene and for consumers more. Although iPad Pro, what happens there? Um, but I think that's I, I think that's the uh, the the optimistic scenario I have is what if Apple ha- does have a plan to make automation kind of more modern and tie into modern scripting languages or maybe even tie into Swift and, and use it as a kind of a ramp up like you learn Swift and you can do automation in the system and then you can build an app and it's all part of a ramp up or is I, I think more evidence suggests that Apple just doesn't care. And that they look at something like workflow and instead of saying, wow, that's really amazing, they look at workflow and say, see, we don't need to do anything. That work, again, that works for me, right? Like I've never been an AppleScript person. Uh, I love workflow. I've tried AppleScript. It never made any sense to me. Workflow makes sense to me. It's oh, And I, no disagreement there. And workflow does a better job of, of being automator than automator ever did. But Workflow still has some really weird things about it. And the access that Workflow has is limited by the fact uh, that the way Apple has built iOS mm-hmm. makes it hard. There's stuff you can't access. And I, I see this on the Mac, too. Like, there are apps that are not scriptable. And this is the thing. Again, it isn't just Apple Script. Like, I, I use Keyboard Maestro for a lot of things, and it's pretty great, too. But there's stuff that, you know, in Keyboard Maestro, I end up having to, like, open a window, move the cursor, click on a button. And that's ridiculous, right? You should be able to have that ha- tell the app to set that setting. And uh, in some apps, you just can't do it. And you have to resort to kind of scripting the UI, which is uh, kind of dumb. So that's that's my issue. Is I, I would be happy if Apple got out of the... Uh, tools game, but had a little bit better of, of a commitment to opening access for the people who build the tools. But I'm not sure that's really what's happening here. I, I, I my, my most likely scenario for me is that all the script stuff in the Mac is going to be in the same deep freeze where they keep dashboard. <laughs> By the way, there's a dashboard button you can put on the uh, control strip in no! the touch bar, <laughs> which is hilarious. I hadn't even thought of that. I can't believe yeah, they oh, yeah. made that. Yeah, you can put that in there. So if you like if you like your 2016 future technology mixed with your technology from the previous decade, uh, you can do it. I you love can that totally they, do it. They took the dashboard key away from the keyboard, but now they've put it back in the touch well, strip. The touch bar, touch bar. If you want it, it's there. And and uh, I heard from somebody who said they use dashboard every day um, and never use Apple Script. And I was like, fair enough. To each to each their own. But yes, if you would like dashboard on the touch bar, you can you can make that happen. You so, crazy diamond, shine I, on you. <laughs> just carry on my way with the sun. I, <laughs> I feel like the the theme of today's episode is Apple is killing some stuff. They are uh, they're moving away from certain areas, but I think we both think that that's okay. I yeah, I would say it's okay. I think it's healthy for Apple to look at stuff and say, we don't need to be doing this anymore. I think it's healthy for all of us to do that, right? Mm-hmm. What can we not, what can we not do? What are we doing? Because we many years ago decided we would do it and not because we would, it would ever make any sense for us to do it. It's like what I said about the iPod, right? At some point you have that balance of like, well, maybe it's easier for me to keep doing it, but at some point it's not easier for you to keep doing it. The best thing to do is to stop and then it's done. And then you get that time back, you get that money back, you get those people back, whatever it is. 
I think that's absolutely true. My question is, what comes next, right? What comes next? And in the case of the airport, maybe what comes next is is other third-party stuff that's way better than the airport was, so why should Apple bother? In the case of scripting, this is my question of automation, is what comes next? Is this, we give up, we don't care anymore, nothing's going to be scriptable anymore, the system, you know, we just don't care. Or is it actually what we want to do is something that's very different, but we have an idea. Like we do, we do care and we are going to make some, you know, some changes there. And like I said, I think that's less likely, but it comes back to the, as much as I feel for Sal and his team. And as much as I have benefited from the work that they've done, if Apple has truly felt for years that it was a waste of time and money, they should have done this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So why not do it now? Right. If they, if they, if they truly have no commitment to this, why put up the false front? Right. Yep. Why, why, why act like you do and cart out these poor people who are trying their best to advocate for their technology while knowing that they have no support internally for their technology. Why, why do that? So on that level, it comes back to, it's okay. Like if you really don't want to do this, just say so. It's not you, it's me. (laughs) <laughs> but we both will just underscore the point that uh you know we're not happy to see people lose their jobs of course no you know? no and i hope that i mean sal lost his job i hope that a lot of the people on his team what I, what i the report i read was that they, it was disbanded i don't mm-hmm. know if that's mm-hmm. actually accurate or not but in a lot of cases the technical people at apple they don't lose their jobs they are transferred elsewhere yeah. and uh, that that is uh and it could have been who knows this could have been precipitated by key members of the team being pulled elsewhere yep. leaving them with nobody on their team and somebody saying let's just pull the plug why were, why would we staff this team let's back get up? rid of the troublemaker and uh yeah and carry on that's right possibly possibly and i think sal again sal was a fierce advocate for his stuff as mm-hmm. any product manager should be but yep. i can see how that could be perceived inside an organization that doesn't care about his stuff as being a pain because right that was his job to be a pain and uh if if people aren't listening to him so i don't know i mean i look at workflow on ios and i think there's hope because somehow even in a cold unfeeling universe where apple made no attempt to do automation of any kind they found a way life life finds a way it's sorry i'm getting all jurassic park on you now they found a way to do it with x callback urls and uh, you know other wacky stuff like that they found a way to do that stuff and through through share sheets and you know the sharing extensions so you know there's there's hope there's hope but i would love it if apple um would give the people out there who want to build that stuff the access to do it that that for me that's like that's that's my bargaining right now is apple doesn't have to do it apple just has to make it accessible for other people to do the work and not and not shut them out and maybe give them some tools to do a better job with it mike this just in <laughs> after we recorded the entire episode we've come back in time it's yep. like back to the future too mike mm-hmm. marty i need your help <laughs> craig has sent an email <laughs> So after we recorded, but before we finished talking on the live stream, Craig Federighi sent an email to somebody on the internet who reads 9to5Mac. So 9to5Mac posted a story about it. And basically, the emailer said, hey, I'm sad that you could let go, Sal. Uh, I like automation on the Mac. And Craig Federighi wrote back to them and said, hi, 
We have every intent to continue our support for the great automation technologies in Mac OS. You can hear Craig saying it. You really can. Uh, and do we think this is good news? My my thought is continued support does not necessarily mean anything other than dashboard, <laughs> right? It it continues to exist. Is there more to it? Do I, am I being pessimistic in viewing it that way? It's great that Craig is reassuring somebody about it, but this is you know again no talk about future product directions, but continuing our support is not anything other than keeping it alive, I think. Uh, I think what this means at a minimum is that this is life support, right? They are at least confirming that automation is on life support at Apple. Best case scenario means that they have some other ideas that they want to work on. And as we mentioned, Sal and his team didn't fit those ideas. But I I think the fact that Federighi took the time to send those emails, they do this purposefully. They know these things are going to get out there. Um, I think it's a positive message. Mm -hmm. Because this isn't something worth giving a press release over. Like, the amount of people that actually sure. care about this in the grand scheme of things for Apple to issue a press release, it's not worth their time. They would have to do more explaining to try and explain what they're even talking about to the wider masses than it would be worth doing this press release. This makes sense. They know this stuff's going to get out there. This is just a confirmation from them, at least, that they have no intention of killing this support, which is, for people that use uh, automation, is, is a good thing. It's a good starting point. All right, so basically, um, sort of where we were before, which is a little positive signal from Craig, but you can take it as being the optimistic view is they've got a plan and the pessimistic view is they're going to just let it sit there, but not really do much to it, which is what we thought before. I can't believe I came all the way back in time just for that. Anyway, I'm going to go back to the future, Mike, using lasers. Here I go. This week's episode is also brought to you by Encapsula. Encapsula is a cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. They have a worldwide network that can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. Every single day, websites of all sizes are attacked. Criminals use giant botnets to scrape website content to try and break into databases and bring sites down with denial of service attacks. On the performance side, your visitors want to visit your website. They want it to load quickly and reliably. Sites that take multiple seconds to load can turn people away. And if your site goes down or is unavailable, customers will go somewhere else. Put simply, Encapsula prevents and solves all of these problems. They employ a powerful global network to filter out and block all the bad stuff, leaving your website and your customers unaffected. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free to give it a try. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you can find out more about Encapsula's service and also claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show, Relay FM, and this week's Ask Upgrade. Brent asked, Jason, which product have you been the most excited to get a review unit for in the last few years? I don't know how to answer this question. I don't. I don't. Um, oh, the last few years. I don't know. I mean, I was really excited to get the iPad. I, I think that that might be my answer. The original iPad? Yeah, the iPhone, we didn't get really a review unit. We got it the day of with everybody else. The original iPad I got a few days before. 
I remember vividly your your iPad review. Hmm. You were sitting. I watched all the video parts that you did of it. You were sitting on a table by a window, mm-hmm. and you were doing all these set series of videos showing what the iPad was capable of. Hmm. I remember it. There you go. I have no. I have no memory of that. But okay, great. I'm glad it's vivid in your memory. That was a big. That was a big thing. The iPad, iPad release. That we had been excited for that new product for a long time, and I got, I, you know, I got it, uh, day, like I said, a day or two before release, and uh, that was pretty exciting to to get that an entirely new Apple product, and and I, re- I remember little bits of that. I remember writing the review, you know, over the weekends, sitting on my bed at home, uh, churning out thousands of words, and yeah, it was uh, that, that I'd probably say that that was that was probably the most exciting one. I wish I could find those videos. I can find your original review, but I can't find the videos. I know that they existed. I'm, All right. I'm almost certain of it. I have a very vivid memory of it. But uh, It's possible those were Macworld them, videos that have now been horribly deprecated. It's yeah. entirely possible. If anybody finds them or remembers them, please write in hashtag AskUpgrade and we'll find it and I can talk about it next week. I'm sure I have oh, a vivid memory of this. Lucas Great. asks, on the MacBook Pro, is the Touch ID part of the touch bar an actual physical button? Does it click? Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it is a it is a key, basically. It's not mm-hmm. shaped like the other keys, but it is a key. Uh, you can push it down. And in fact, if you push, it's the power button. It is what we used to think of as the power button. Its mm-hmm. behavior is very different now. If you hold it down for six, I want to say seconds, it forces a reboot. And that's so that you've got a hardware, you know, because you can't, you can't necessarily, if the touch bar doesn't work, you can't do kind of the old method of force rebooting a system because that involved the escape key, which doesn't exist anymore. So you hold down that key for like six seconds and it just reboots. It's very much like the uh, the same hardware, hold down two buttons on the iPhone or, or iPad and have it reboot. In the same kind of vein, Brent was interested to know if you have any idea if the touch bar has generation one or two touch ID. I think those concepts are concepts very specifically related to iOS and don't have applicability on the Mac. I have there's no way for me to tell because I'd have to compare it to, uh, you know, a previous Touch ID on the Mac which doesn't exist, or compare it to iOS. So I, I don't think I have anything to say about that. I think it's Touch ID, uh, it's Touch ID on the Mac is what does it, it is. Does it feel fast enough? Yeah, I again, uh yeah, it seems to react quickly, but it's it's a very different thing because it's it's a Mac, so it's unlocking and so is that the Mac responding mm. differently than iOS uh so, or or with like one password unlocking? It's the same thing. It seems to happen really fast. I would also say uh, this question was does the touch bar have it is distinctly it's it's on the touch bar row but it's not the touch bar it is this distinct button to the right of the touch bar so i i think it would be inaccurate to say the touch bar has touch id the touch there there's a row that's got the touch bar and touch id sensor in it but the touch id sensor is next to the touch bar it's not the touch bar i really do have a sneaking suspicion that it was supposed to be but they couldn't get it to work my my theory is it was supposed to be part of the bar um, with the idea of that being the same technology that would implant a Touch ID sensor inside of the screen. And I yeah. don't think they've been able to do it. That would be new. That would be new tech. And uh, instead they went with, I mean, this, this solves the other problem of having a physical reset button on the computer too. So 
but yeah, I, I know it's uh, there's a there's a lot of interesting things that if only they re- release a book explaining their reasoning. <laughs> but all we get is a picture of the touch bar. Interesting question from Kyle: What is the current biggest factor that makes a Mac feel fast? What is the most important part there, Jason? SSD storage, 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 storage. Is interesting. The That's it. That's number one. Like if you <laughs> use a use a Mac with a spinning hard drive and no Fusion drive. And then go to a Fusion drive or, or an SSD, and then go to an SSD. You know, at the end of it, I did this with a Mac Mini that my Mac Mini that's five years old now. It was a spinning drive, and mm-hmm. I I took it apart and put it in an SSD, and it's like a completely new computer. If you've if you've used if you've been on an SSD for a while and you haven't used a computer with a spinning disk, go back and try that. It is horrific. Like it is it is that is the constraint on so many things now of uh, computer usability is the responsiveness of the storage. I feel like that is the big bottleneck right now. If you're already using an SSD, like say you're on an SSD MacBook Pro and you're getting a new MacBook Pro, what would be the thing there? Would it be like the processor maybe? Maybe. I guess the jumps aren't as big, right? No. Yeah, the jumps aren't as big. I feel like that was the that was the big jump was going to SSD because it, it's just so much more responsive. And you know, the newer SSD is even faster. Yeah, I don't even remember it. Like I, you know, I know that I did it, but like I, I have no memory of how slow it was before. Those but I bet you're times. right. If I went to something like no. that, I would rip my hair out. Yeah. Another question about the uh, new MacBook Pro: What does the function key do on the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar? It makes the top row of the Touch Bar turn into a function row. <laughs> so you get F1, F2, F3, etc. Yep. That's what it does, and you okay. can also go into the keyboard. Uh, system preferences and actually apply uh, you can add apps that inherit the f keys automatically so like if there's an app that you have that you you really need the function keys you can actually go into system prefs and drag that app in and uh, then it will always just show the f keys there and then i think i think if you want to see the touch bar you hit the f key and it toggles it back but Hmm. um but yeah that's what the fn key does is flip you over into classic f key mode and last today, Lachlan wanted to know, what do we want to see in the next iPad Pro? Now, I have a list here. This okay. has been a very Jason-focused uh, Ask Upgrade now, so I'm going to take the lead on this one. So All right. I would like to see True Tone across the line. So the 12.9-inch gets True Tone because True Tone Agreed. is, for me, as good as Retina was. Um, you got you got to have it. You got to have it. It, it. The the inconsistency. I mean, we could we could broaden that and say the inconsistency between the the nine point seven and the twelve and the twelve point nine must go away. Yeah, nine point seven should get fast charging and and all that stuff. Like th- yeah. that that stuff needs to go. But yeah, but True Tone on a twelve point nine is imperative at this point. Um, I'm upset that it's not on my iPhone as well. But that's a story for another day. Um, I want the iPad Pros, both of them, to be lighter and thinner because they are products that should and can still be light, lighter and thinner, right? The the, the 12.9 is mm-hmm. too heavy. Um, that yep. If that was lighter, that would be awesome. I don't need my iPhones to do that, but I do want my iPads to continue doing that. Um, and then outside of that, like, you know, you get the usual. Faster, you know, more OS stuff, all of that. But iPad Pro is not just the iPad. iPad Pro is the accessories as well. So I want to see enhancements there. I want a Pencil 2 that has a better battery life, um, because considering Apple have uh, embraced the people like me who like to use the pencil a lot more than intended, right? The battery isn't good enough. Um, so I, I want 
to see a better, better battery life in there. Uh, and I would also like there to be a button of some kind which apps could take advantage of in some way, like an eraser or a button on the side, mm-hmm. which could enable deeper and richer interactions. So, for example, with my, uh, I use a Wacom tablet, it has a button on the side of it, it has a couple, it has actually quite a few buttons. But let's just say one of the buttons, if I click it, it will make, uh, it will basically highlight select. So then I can drag things around. Right, so I would like to see the Pencil 2 have a button on it, which an app like Procreate could use to turn the pen into an eraser. You know, or Many different apps could use it in different ways. I would like to see a button added to it. Uh, I would also like a new smart keyboard. I would like mm. there to be one of two things. Now, dream scenario would be something touch bar-like. Just not, not necessarily that it is a touch screen, but a screen that brings down a lot of the things like the quick type although a touchscreen would be great because you could use the emoji picker that would be amazing i think we're a way away from that right i can't imagine that happening in terms of thickness alone yes it would be crazy but i would love to have media keys on the smart keyboard oh yeah and or make the smart keyboard more like the logitech create give me a backlight uh, make the key travel a little bit nicer, but I actually think the key travel on the smart keyboard is is nicer than the MacBook. Um, I actually prefer the smart keyboard to type mm-hmm. on. Uh, I, but I would like to see some big improvements to the the smart keyboard. Make the keycaps larger. Um, make give me some function. Give function. Give me some media keys. Right. I want that. I want a backlight. I think the top row of keys. <laughs> Is that's missing from the smart uh, keyboard is painful, right? And we mm-hmm. we've said, yeah, oh, function keys are dumb, but but Apple did map those to other functions, including uh, media playback, and it's painful to not have those. My nine point seven has more keys on it and better features, the Logitech one than the twelve point yeah. nine inch iPad one that Apple make. Yep. Uh, they need to mm-hmm. they need to take a key from Logitech and make those keyboards better. Oh. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, OS improvements, though, I think are the, are the most important, even though yeah. I spent the least time talking about those. Um, a lot of the iPad features are, are very dated now, um, to the point where I can't understand how anybody ever thought that the uh, app switching, like the multi, <laughs> multi-tasking yeah. window, where you, I kind of, what's, what do they call that? The app I don't picker, even know. the multitasking app picker, it's the split view app picker thing. I can't understand how anybody ever thought that that was the right way to design that. They were just like these little things. I think they just ran out of time. I, I think I think they didn't know it, but we've been now living with it for for a year and a half. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And I'll throw in there that OS improvements. I mean, yeah, drag and drop would be nice. Mm-hmm. A better app picker. Mm-hmm. Um, the the yeah. There's all sorts of things. Access to mass storage so that I can attach a, an SD card without having to use some wacky <laughs> Wi-Fi transfer app in order to see the files on the SD card and open them in an app. Find a way to make 3D Touch work. Oh, interesting. Even even if it's not putting 3D Touch in the device, find a way to make 3D Touch shortcuts work because the iPad is missing them. I can't clear all my notifications. Find a way to make that work. Hmm. So yeah. there you go. That's why I want to say I have I have high right. hopes for the iPad Pro, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to them revi- revising them next year. I will. Um, I think this is also in the unlikely category, but I'm going to throw it in there because I I I want to, <laughs> which is um, USB C port. I was just about to say that. I I I think that they really need to add it, but I don't think that they will. I don't think that they will either. 
I understand why they won't, and I can support that decision, but I would still like it because it opens up the device to a whole world of things. Yeah, think of it as a laptop replacement, not yep. as an iPhone. USB that's support. what Apple Apple was saying it is, and they need to push it further towards mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think USB-C would, would go a long way to, to enabling that. But I understand at the same time why they wouldn't do it because it's vastly different and incredible amount of work, I'm sure, to get USB support, USB-C support and all of the peripherals yeah. that they would need into iOS. Um, I understand why they wouldn't do it, but I would really like to see something like that to just to enable more expandability to the system. Oh, and I mean, part of the uh, across the line, True Tone across the line, I'll say P3 across the line because the mm. iPad Pro uh, 10.9 doesn't have P3. Oh, it has a wider color gamut though, right? Mm-mm. No? Nope, the 9.7 has the wide color gamut. The 10.9 does not. Or sorry, the 12.9 does not. Ah, that's why. Yeah, okay. Baby yeah, Pro yeah, has definitely. the wide color gamut. The full size Pro yes. does not. Yes. I would like to, yeah. So uh, that's the know. trade. That's the trade. You get P3, you get True Tone. Yay. And leave the Mini alone. And you get and you get USB 3 transfer speeds on the small one, which doesn't have it, which is, you know, and the fast charging. Yeah, revise the Mini. I think they need to revise the Mini, but do not make it a Pro. Just leave that product alone. Give it a nicer screen. Give it a nice touch ID. You know, make it a little bit faster, but just keep that product ticking along as it is, I think. Yeah. All right, I think that wraps it up for today. We've sold a lot of things here. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're helping. Just just take our list, Apple, and implement yeah. those things, and then we'll all be happy. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Product roadmap <laughs> sorted. If you want to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm/upgrade/116. I want to take a moment again to thank our lovely sponsors for this week: Eero, Encapsula, and Mac Walden. If you'd like to find Jason's work online, he is at jsnell, J S N E W L, on Twitter, and he writes over at Six Colors. Dot com. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Uh, if you would like to submit questions, feedback, follow-up for the show, just tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade and we will see it and hopefully we'll include it in later episodes. Don't forget, if you want to be uh, up to date with the show next week, you want to watch Gremlins in anticipation of Mike at the movies. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Don't get water on Mike or feed me after midnight. All will become clear next week, I suppose. Mm-hmm.